All right, guys, let's give Kristen our attention real quick as she gives some announcements, and then I'm going to give some instructions uh, for what we're going to do differently this morning. So, yeah, to Kristen. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to DNC. I'm going to go ahead and start the announcements. The first one we have is Spring Hita. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a fundraiser to raise money for all the CTF, which is a team ministry within our churches. So that's going to be Saturday, April 27th um, from 5 to 9. Um, and so you can go ahead and register. So you guys can go ahead and pull your phone out and get the URL. And on there, you can buy the meal tickets and raffle tickets and things like that. So registration's already open, so you guys can do that. And then the last thing is there's a men's lunch today after church at the loophole. So that's for all the men who have graduated and are involved in our adult ministry. So I think that's it. All right. Um, all right, so Melissa Kinfield is here this morning, and uh, I've known Melissa for some time now. We both went to UTD together, although we were a little bit uh, you know, further apart in years. Uh, and um, she ended up doing uh, sociology, and uh, I think she did it for undergrad, which is a bad idea, but um, thankfully she went back and did it uh, as a master's, and now she has taught at pretty much all the community colleges that I have taught at, taught at as well. She's currently teaching at TCC Online, NCTC, and uh, Collin College, and uh, she's just someone who uh, is quirky and weird and... Uh, I wanted to bring her by just to kind of balance out from Eddie from last week, who's really straight-laced and kind of, you know, speak to all audiences. uh, Melissa is someone who's very politically active. Uh, She loves and cares about people deeply, particularly about people who, uh, you know, really kind of people have forgotten about and may not always be able to be vocal on their own. And so she's someone that I really wanted to talk about this issue of immigration and blue-collar work. And so, you know, I, I haven't ever... I don't try to tell the speakers to, to really speak about anything too, too specific. I give them at least enough uh, you know, room to, to speak on what I think uh, they work on and where God's leading them and, and their hearts. So I just, same thing as last week, please get out your notes. Uh, be ready. Uh, Melissa, I will have to warn you that our group tends to be pretty interactive, so they may interrupt you and ask a question in the middle of it. And since Melissa is a professor, she can easily take that, so don't worry, as long as your questions are not sarcastic or... Uh, you know, spiteful or anything like that. So I'm going to say a prayer for her uh, and to end our uh, time of worship, and then we'll, we'll continue. Lord God, thank you for the ways that you uh, work through our community, that you work through individual people. Uh, we don't even really begin to understand all the ways that you're moving in our church and in our city and around the world, and it's always amazing when we hear uh, something specific that we can attach to you and um, I just thank you for uh, how active you are, how much you care about our world, how much you care about uh, the people who are insignificant uh, to others, and uh, I just pray that you would speak to Melissa and her experience, and um, that uh, the Spirit would really speak to us on what we need to think about in this passage and, uh, and, and on this topic, Lord. Uh, we do all of this because you are a good God, and we know that the things that we talk about are in uh, alignment with your character and what you want for us and for the world around us. Uh, amen. Well, good morning. Um, it's good to be here. It's neat because I was here at the Denton Church. The microphone okay? Is that me being confused? It's all you? Okay, cool. 
Um, and as part of the church planting, we were told, be really good members of the Wiley Church. Get plugged in, get connected, invest there as the church in Denton was being planted. And I got hooked. I loved the Wiley Church. I ended up moving to Wiley because I loved it so much. So it's nice that I was invited back here and not just excommunicated because I left Denton for the purpose of going to Wiley. Um, you still love me? Okay. Yes, go Wiley. Good answer. Yeah. Y'all are interactive. That's exciting. You know, when, when I teach, so I teach at various community colleges, and sometimes when I plan out what I'm gonna talk about someday, I look at my, my questions and I think, is this meant to be a rhetorical question? Is this meant for you to just think about it? Or do I actually want my students to answer? And half the time, I don't even know because there's just no telling if they're gonna be awake that day, <laughs> if they're going to respond. So yes, please interrupt me, um, say what's going on. I have been listening through the past sermons to kind of get a feel for where y'all have been. And I did want to point out something from a few weeks ago uh, when Brad was talking about the criminal justice and he talked about something that had happened at UTD. He talked about the judicial affairs issue, the, the kangaroo court, he called it. And I, like, I vividly remember that because I was one of the other students in that class. And I was one of the students that showed up to speak on Brad's behalf to say, hey, there was something screwy that came, up, came around here. And then Brad's talking about it, and he says that there were two focus students in the class, and he pretty much carried both of them. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, I remember when that email went out, like, you'd emailed that paper, and I wondered why I was included. Like, why did he email me? He was under the mistaken impression that he was carrying me that semester. <laughs> so I know there's some things coming up in Romans about, like, not thinking of yourself as, you know, too highly. So I hope, hope something happens there. I think, I think that's all the dunking on Brad I'm going to do today. So, yeah, I'll try to tone that one down. Uh, but really, I am glad to be back here, and I'm glad to talk about, in particular, the immigration aspect. Uh, because, as Brad had pointed out, in, in recent years, I've gotten involved in basically an immigrant rights organization. Um, and in particular, what I get involved in is when people apply for asylum. So when people come and they basically come to the border and cry, have mercy on me, there is a legal process which is confusing in English. Now imagine if you don't speak English. So we basically have these teams of people who help translate, like translate from Spanish to English and then translate from English to bureaucrat. And so <laughs> that's the part that I'm good at. Um, and through part of that, I've also observed a lot of immigration court proceedings. Just go to the federal courthouse, take notes on what the judges are doing. Um, there was a time last year where the attorney general basically kept coming out with clarifications on rulings, notes, updates, and the immigration attorneys are scrambling to understand, like, what is the application? What are the judges doing with this? And so they train teams of volunteers who are not attorneys to just watch what's happening. And so I got a pretty, pretty different perspective on a lot of the courts that way. But I'm not here to talk about everything interesting with the US immigration system. 
I'm mostly trying to talk about Romans 10 and 11 and apply some of those themes to some of these questions. Again, how do we think about people and how do we think about migration, migrants, how do we think about what's going on in our country? So I'll just start with the first few verses of, of Romans 10. Um, and I, before I get into that, I do want to note, Wiley Church is probably out for lunch by now. So, yeah, right? Like, so my sense of timing, like my brain's saying, like, it's time for lunch, y'all. We're just getting started. So, you know, that'll be interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to, like, just skip a whole page, whatever. <laughs> don't need that. Uh, well, there's no clock on the back wall for me to stay on track, so, you know. So if y'all start getting hungry, just, you know, wave me down. So, Romans, chapter 10. Um, first couple of verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. What does that have to do with migration? Well, the thing that jumps out to me about what Paul is saying is how deeply he cares for the Israelites, how deeply he cares for people. He genuinely loves them. He genuinely cares for their salvation. And my first fundamental baseline point when we talk about, again, complicated political issues or practical, what does this mean for my life, is do, are we on the same page about people? Do we care about them? Do we love them? Do we view people as being made fully in God's image? Because um, that's something that I often see kind of get skimmed over, you know? You get rhetoric about like, migrant hordes coming to the border. We're talking about people, right? We're talking about people who are fully human, and we have to view them, again, as made in God's image, people who have full responsibility and autonomy over their choices. Uh, so often, again, we kind of skip over this, or sometimes I hear attitudes basically viewing people as NPCs. You know, like, they're just non-player characters, victims of their own circumstances. They have their, like, pre-made script. This is all they do. And again, not really giving a person full agency for the choice. I was like, oh, that country was terrible. Of course you had to come. And of course America is the best place in the world. Who wouldn't want to come? No, again, we're talking about people. We're talking about human choices. So we can't paint people as just victims of their circumstances. We can't paint people as, again, these dehumanizing things that, that often pop, pop up. We're all made in God's image. We're all the children of God. We all have choices, and we all have responsibilities to our brothers and sisters. So that's why, again, baseline, first point, and if that one's contentious, we're in trouble already. Um, now, what does that mean for us? Like, what does it mean to show love in this context? Is it love to say, borders don't matter? Is it love to say, follow the law, end of story? I'm not gonna answer that one yet. I put things on post-it notes. So I'll be like, I'll get back to that one. <laughs> You're there. I wanna answer that question, just not yet. I do that in my classes too, and sometimes it's like, why is Nora Jones on a post-it note? Don't worry, we'll explain it in 20 minutes. So we're gonna ask about that application later on, move on in Romans. 
One of those big church issues in the early church, one of the things that Romans is addressing constantly is this issue of identity. Can everybody be disciples together? Or Jews and Gentiles, how do you get along? Which rules do you follow? And that's what a lot of, again, what's going on, especially in chapter 11, is, is addressing. Paul's trying to chew through these issues. And I'll read a few of the verses from chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I bring that one up to say, again, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about in God's eyes, we're all his children. The same Lord is Lord of all. There's not different tiers of humanity. There's not, again, the more saved and the less saved in that context. The early church struggled with it, and is that something we still see an issue with today in Christian churches? Like, oh, we see the the Messianic Jews as more righteous than uh, any other denomination? Not much, but we do see that show up with nationality issues. Do you ever start to think that maybe the, the church of the American church is like more advanced, knows more about God's nature than churches in other countries? Are Americans just innately more righteous? All of our scholars and theologians, like they, they know more about God? Kind of a problem if people start taking that attitude. So each different church, each different community has valuable things to add. Um, and again, going on in, in Romans, Paul tells us that we're all grafted in together. Um, he cautions the readers, again, not to be arrogant. Uh, you'll say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. So again, I, I want to use that to, to say we need to be careful about again, how we elevate our national identity as it relates to our Christian identity. As I was writing this, I was like, I, I want to be really careful how I choose my words because I don't want like, a recording to come back to haunt me 20 years from now and somebody's going to be like, look, she hates America. <laughs> Justin, he knows what I do on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, isn't that where we are? How often do people take, again, take the American identity as more important than the Christian identity? Do we view people who are fellow believers as our brothers and sisters, even if they don't speak the same language? Do we view them with the same love, the same respect? Or do we look at people from other cultures and other countries and view them as different just because of their language, skin color, any of those things? and the, the tricky thing that we start running into is when we get too hung up on the American part instead of the Christian part, we start ignoring our own cultural sins. We start thinking about things like greed is good, right? Like, is that not part of how the American economy functions? Doesn't greed end up in the same lists of sins as sexual immorality? And so, again, depending on our cultural lenses, we become tolerant and forgiving of some sins and look at other cultures and think, well, they respect their leaders too much. 
They have too much respect for their king or emperor or whatever. So clearly they're all idolatrous. But Christians in America, we're okay, we got it right. We're better than those Christians. Again, it's sin is sin, right? So it helps for us to take a few steps back and think in, those, in that context of what's God's ideals here. So again, that's the, kind of the second point I wanted to get across is we're disciples first, we're Christians first. And then the other layers of identity matter. We can't elevate being that American over being a Christian. Now, what does this have to do with immigration and blue-collar work? I guess that's my second post-it note. Don't worry, there's only two post-it notes. <laughs> because, again, when we're taking our American lenses, one of those issues that we really do run into when I talk to people out in the wild, like people from other churches, people sometimes take this like black and white approach of like, there is the law, the law is the end of the story. If you violate American laws, you are immoral. Well, uh, I want to touch that post-it note later because I've been talking for a little while and I haven't talked much about specifically blue-collar work. And this is, maybe I do want to dunk on Brad again. I don't know. Uh, because I've chewed through this, this, these chapters a little bit and I'm not quite sure where the connection to blue-collar work was, but I know that Brad has a PhD and I don't, which means he is better than I am. <laughs> so true, right? So true. <laughs> So righteous. Um, yeah. But if we go back to that, that piece about like, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, one of those things that, that we run into just, again, thinking about people, thinking about our, our place in the church, do we ever end up elevating people based on class issues? Like deferring to people or seeing them as better or seeing them as, again, more desirable because they have a better job, a more prestigious job. Um, I was having this conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, because I was thinking about, when I still lived here, I was teaching at NCTC, and I also picked up an odd job on Craigslist. I was a sign spinner for a while. <laughs> it was fantastic, you know? Although I did kind of have this fear, like what if one of my students from my college class drives by and sees me holding this sign for a new housing development. But depending on, like, I turned it into a game. You know, I, I meet people and they ask, oh, what do you do? Because that's how we judge each other, right? Like, people place you based on social position on what type of job you have. And I could introduce myself as saying, you know, I'm kind of between jobs. I'm uh, scrambling together. I've got three different sources of income. I'm a sign spinner. <laughs> Or I could be like, I'm a professor of sociology. And, you know, people just treat you with more respect if you have these more prestigious jobs. And is that a godly ideal? Like, again, hopefully, obviously not. Thank you for the, for the nose in there. But that's something that, that humans do, right? Like, that's something that our human sinful culture does is we start elevating people and say, you are more valuable because you contribute more economically. <laughs> You have more worth because of your job, because of your income. When even there's some jobs that make a lot more money, but they're viewed more lowly. And again, I don't know how much I could say. I think Brad's life is a better example of this than anything I could say. Just this thought of there are jobs that impress people more when you introduce yourself as them. 
But is that what the economy needs? Is that what God's kingdom needs? Do we need a bunch of people who are scrambling to say, look at this glorious job as a, and who do I want to dunk on next? As an investment banker, as a hedge fund manager. Things that might sound nice, but is that what God needs us to do? So, I don't know, that's a, that's a can of worms, and this can of worms of, of class issues that I can't fully unpack today, but I do know something as it relates to immigration. Um, when we look at the history of U.S. immigration policy, we see the same kind of patterns that you see across human society, right? Like, there's a long history of, of class-based migration, encouraging the middle class. There's even a category today for, like, investors. If you promise to invest enough money in the United States, doors open. If you don't have money, is there even a line? Is there a migration line for that? Not so much there's like a diversity lottery where a handful of people every year get picked, but our system is set up that says, we want you because you have money, we don't want you because you don't. Um, and so that, again, turns into a little bit of a, a problem of how we start to view people. When the Christian ideal is your, your worth is not determined by your economic contribution. Your worth is not determined by your paycheck. Your value comes from being made in God's image. Now, again, what, what does this mean for, you know, how, how do I talk about policy issues? I mean... I don't know, like I, I put this post-it note up here and I'm like, I don't pretend to have all these answers, but at least on a basic discourse level. Imagine if our conversations about healthcare valued every human, like said a human has worth, a human has dignity, regardless of how much money they make. That would be an interesting conversation. Instead we get conversations where people feel like they have to defend their right to exist, where they're being told, you cost too much to exist. Imagine, imagine if children were invariably viewed as a blessing. I don't know how many of y'all have ever read like some of Margaret Sanger's writings in early Planned Parenthood publications, but some of the ways that the children of the poor are viewed, treated as a burden, treated as like what right do you have to exist, like what right does a parent have to bring a child into the world if they can't economically take care of them? How ugly is that? Imagine if our conversations about that said every human has worth and dignity. So historically, a lot of our laws have been tainted by, by these things like racism and classism. And we're left saying, so what is a Christian response? Do we look at those and say, eh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way the laws are. Or do we say that this is an area that we have to be fighting to change? Nobody has an answer to that one? <laughs> I thought y'all were gonna just answer all my questions today, you know? And I don't wanna just like throw stones at like churches and attitudes and congregations that I'm not part of. But again, I think that's something that at our heart level we should be asking. Um, and even when it comes to our friend groups and we look at who do I spend time with? Who do I value? Do I view people of different social classes? Do I view people with different backgrounds, different races and ethnicities? Are they welcome in my home? Because I can't say, stand here and say, oh, well, clearly a Christian attitude is love everybody, embrace everybody, and I don't act that way in my own house. 
So, yeah. Probably not. <laughs> like, which one? I asked so many questions. Oh. Yeah, how active should, should we be? Like, how much, and again, how much should we fight to, like, change this at a micro level or a national level? I don't know. Start with our own hearts, right? Isn't that the Christian approach? Like, see what's going on in my own, in my own eye before I try to correct somebody else. Uh, but, well, I am the one with the microphone, and I still have Post-it notes. So, and I do want to, again, chew on those questions a little bit more, talk out loud about a little bit of it. Um, I left this one up, like, what does it mean to show love? Like, how much, like, what does love look like? Um, so over at the Wiley Church, we just finished reading through a book that had to do with, like, different views on church, state, and public justice. It was one of those, I don't know if y'all have read much of the, the four views on or five views on series, but it's a really neat experience to, to chew through these books because people present their perspectives and then the people who disagree with them respond. And it's a really good way to, to get somebody else's perspective like from themselves. Instead of being like, oh, well, that group says that, and that group says that. But it's neat for people to, who believe something to reflect that themselves. And one of the ongoing topics was like, in a criminal justice setting, what does it mean to show love? If a person comes and says, I want all your money, is it love to just give them all your money? Is that what's spiritually best for them? And so a few of the authors are kind of chewing through this. Again, it's like, at times what love means is saying you don't get everything you want because we're called to care about people's physical needs, right? But we're also called, about, called to care about people's spiritual needs, so, again, a few scriptures on that one. Um, yeah, I think it's a fundamental part of what God calls us to. Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of one of these, you did for me. Or James 1 and 2 talks a lot about it. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So we, we need to care about people, Right? But how far can I just like solve my post-it note? Uh, like the church referenced in Thessalonians had uh, some problems. They had people that weren't taking care of themselves. They had people that wanted handouts, like wanted to wait for the rapture, wait for the apocalypse, and not take care of their earthly needs. And it's pretty clear in that letter, hey, grow up, like take care of yourself. Um, it's not love in that context to just say, here, have some food. And that's where we run into some tough questions when it comes to, again, how do I view, how do I view people? How do I view what is loving? Uh, because people have spiritual needs as well. And so in the, in the context of like, how do I view migrants coming? Like, there's this question of, is it spiritually best to say, run away from a bad economic situation? Is that enabling greed? Or is that us saying, hey, we have plenty come and, and share. Honestly, I don't know. I hope y'all didn't think I could answer that. 
I can't answer my own post-it notes, y'all. Um, it also made me think of, again, there's this, this disconnect of like what we want to do to serve others, again, compared to what they need. Yeah, right. Like when I was a student at UTD, I worked in the student office that organized volunteer activities. And you'd have all these students that show up and they're like, I want to volunteer eight hours of my day because my honor society says I need to volunteer. And then I'd be the person that has to contact the nonprofits and say, hey, what do you all need? What volunteers do you need? And they're like, we need people to staff our thrift shop. We need people to consistently volunteer to answer phones. And these students that need their volunteer hours are like, can't I just like work at the food bank for a few hours? Like, they, they, are they looking to serve the other person? No, they're looking to like fill their quota of hours. Uh, and again, like that's not the spirit of Christ. Our spirit should be, what does the other person need? Not just what just feels good. Does it just feel good to say, here, have whatever you want? Or does it feel good to say, no, there's patterns, there's laws, there's things established. So, again, I, I don't know where that lands for y'all. I don't know quite what the, the application is. Um, I keep wandering into these, like, different social issues, different issues going on when my skill set, my conversation is, you know, immigration law. How do we even view our laws? <laughs> And again, that's a, it's a tough thing to think through. And again, I sure hope y'all didn't think I had all the answers. I just have a lot more questions. Because as I pointed out earlier, a lot of the laws that we have set in place in the United States have racist or classist origins. But it's also clear from scripture that God establishes the government, has his hand in it. And so can we just be wild and practice civil disobedience just because we don't like it? Don't you have a person coming in like two weeks to like solve all the civil disobedience issues? You know, so, so wait till then. In a fortnight, you'll know. <laughs> you know? Is this an issue of give to Caesar? What is Caesar's? Let everyone be subjected to the governing bodies. Um, or is this an issue of like, I guess Daniel is a good example of sometimes the laws aren't just. Or uh, Acts 5, where's that quote? We must obey God rather than human beings. That's the quote I pulled from Acts 5, that sometimes God's laws are higher than human laws. So to answer my post-it note and then make a lot more questions, it's not a Christian ideal to say all laws are human constructs, they don't matter. It's not a Christian ideal to say all laws are put in place by the authorities and thus must be fully embraced. And so when I see rhetoric that says, well, people who violate U.S. immigration laws are immoral, like, did, did you just tear out chunks of your Bible? <laughs> did you just ignore the things? Um, I don't know. That's a ludicrous soundbite. Y'all know we get weird soundbites like, um, oh, I like this one. Hell has open borders. Heaven has a wall with a big gate. <laughs> so... Clearly, that is an application to U.S. immigration. No. no. Oh, um, since in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, so clearly all national borders are ungodly. Hopefully that's equally ludicrous, but I don't know, maybe y'all all believe that. I don't know. Paul doesn't give us sound bites. You know, we don't have sound bites for how to apply it at a practical level. 
apparently these are things that we need to work through in community. We need to check our hearts, check our attitudes about people. We need to check our attitudes about how we view people, how we value people, and seek God's guidance instead of, again, hoping that there's one broad brush we can paint everything with. And I do have a lot of these questions. Uh, like, clearly, I care enough. I'm convicted on some things that I spend my time working in certain organizations. But I also have that question, that concern on, is it spiritually best for people to run away from a problem? Should they stay there? Should they like fight to make that country better? And then I sit and I listen to people's stories. There was one person I was working with who, he fled his country because the gangs tried to recruit him. And he said, no, I am a Christian. I will not work for the gangs. And the gangs took a knife, slashed his arm open, and says, no, you're going to work for us. So he decided to leave. You know, like, I'm kind of glad he's alive. Um, there's person after person, mostly most of the people that I see are widows whose husbands have been murdered. And they think, I can't stay here like, without, my, like, if your father's dead, if your husband's dead, then where do you turn? And so they come to the United States because they have extended family, cousins, and say, at least there, I can be safe and my children won't be murdered. And I listen to that and I think, you know, I'm glad there's an outlet. I'm glad there's an avenue there in immigration law. Where do you go from there? Like, that's, that's what I care about. But I also hear the arguments, again, I commented on this a little bit earlier, if a person is just migrating because they want a better job, is that, is that inherently greedy? Or is that doing what's best for your family? But again, the thing that scripture tells me is, I don't have to judge them. I don't have to judge their hearts. I have to judge my heart. I have to judge my attitudes when I meet people, the people that I'm working with. Um, do I, again, do I view them as made in God's image? Do I view them as people making choices that they are ultimately responsible with? And so that's how I've ended up spending some of my time and one of the, the things to, to reference that other, the book I commented on, the different five views on church, state, and public justice, God's people have a lot of differences of opinion. There are some things that at a fundamental level, again, I hope we're all on the same page, that people matter, people are made in God's image. But when it comes to some of the specific applications, well-meaning people end up with different views. They come to different conclusions. And so one of the things that I have to walk in is people may disagree with me, people may have different values, different priorities, and guess what? That person is also made in God's image. And that person is also my brother or sister in Christ, even if they're a person holding a sign that I don't agree with. So, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to expect today in terms of like when y'all would do communion or any of those things, so I didn't really come up with a nice, neatly wrapped conclusion so I guess that means I should just, you know, ask y'all if you had any, like, questions or comments and use that to wrap up. Or did I just explain everything perfectly? <laughs> y'all are laughing because I didn't. Yeah, I think those are both really good points just about like what is my sphere of influence? Because again, like I've intentionally put myself in a place where I can make an influence, but a lot of us, it's like who is in your everyday life? Who is it that in, in your circle of people can you make an impact on one way or the other? 
Uh, and again, thank you for reinforcing that part about like, what is my heart? What is my attitude towards people? Am I genuinely praying for people's well-being at all levels? And that also goes back, like y'all are commenting on some of the political stuff. It's interesting seeing how much, like how much does the president have or not have authority? How much did the attorney general influence? Um, a lot of it is Congress made laws and the laws have not been updated to match the reality because Congress. And do we view these political players as people as well? Are you praying for the leadership? Are you praying for the people by name or just cursing them out when you scroll through the Facebook feed and see what happened this time, you know? Um, well, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I see that attitude sometimes, and a lot of times it is connected to that attitude of like, well, clearly, like, America is God's chosen people, just like the Israelites were. <laughs> some of y'all are laughing, and some of y'all are like, are you saying that's not true? <laughs> that's always my favorite part, especially like in my classroom. I get to see the whole span of reactions, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, and this is, yeah, I, I have several soapboxes on this uh, because there is, there is an outlet in U.S. immigration law for people who are applying as refugees or asylum seekers, and that's specifically people who have experienced persecution or have a well-founded fear of persecution on account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. And so those are the people that Congress says, that our law says, hey, your country is not taking care of you, is not protecting you, so come here, we have room. And one of the things that's been happening in recent years is basically there's border patrol on the other side of the border and ICE agents in Mexico that are preventing people from getting to the U.S. border and preventing them from going to the port of entry and basically saying, have mercy on me. And so it's pushing migrants to cross the border illegally, and then they get detained, and then the U.S. courts look at them and say, well, you violated our border, and they're like, we tried going to the port of entry, and they turned us away. And that's one of those real things going on, or if you look at the conditions in detention centers, which itself is this big can of worms, like what do you do when you pick up people? Do you just do the, the catch and release, or do you put them in a prison? And a lot of the, the human rights issues going on in these essentially prisons for people who cross the border illegally. Um, if y'all wanna look into that, the biggest one is Dilly, and then the next one is um, Carnes. They're both in South Texas, and they're both, they've been connected with some of those issues of like kids not getting medical treatment or parents being separated and put in separate sections of the prison. There was one person I was talking to who, when she had, she actually had an interview. She had the credible fear interview where she explains, this is why I fled my country. And her answers on the interview didn't match what she's telling us. And she said, well, yeah, I couldn't see my kid. I hadn't seen my kid all day, and they told me that I just need to get through this as fast as I could so I could see my kid again. So I didn't really think about those answers. I'm like, well, you think that's gonna give a person an accurate impression? You think the judge is gonna be able to weight those fairly? But because the parents had been separated from the kids, they just like, blurt out what they can to get through it instead of thinking like, what's the implication of this long term for my legal case under US immigration law, which I've never fully read. So, yeah. 
So is this the one we'll wrap up? We're not going to talk about the, the U.S. hand in destabilizing any other countries. Okay, too revolutionary. Uh, I guess that's, that's it. Um, yes. We're not ready for that level of truth today. Yeah. Is there anything else? Or are we just like, do we just go to lunch from here? Is this when you cut off the microphone? Who's coming back? Okay, so Don's gonna, you know, get us back on track. No pressure, right? Yes, talk to me after. We have opinions. Yeah. Wow, this is pretty cool. Father, we thank you. Uh, gosh, for loving us, as messed up and mixed up and imperfect as we are. Just keep working on us, uh, keep speaking through us, even at times when we don't feel like we're worthy of being spoken through. Um, to me, that's the most powerful thing, is knowing that you can take someone like myself and, and you can use me uh, to be a light, to be a, a voice to be a beacon, uh, to be a source of comfort. Um, just thanks for that. And thanks for your mercy and your forgiveness, the sacrifice of your son more than anything else. Uh, just thanks for that. Uh, help us to look beyond issues. And as we were talking about earlier, uh, help us to see the people around us and love the people around us and know that that's within our sphere of influence. And as we do that, as we continue to spread uh, your love, uh, that's, that's going to make a big difference no matter what. Uh, so be with our country, be with our government, our leaders, uh, those people that are in charge. Help them to, to maybe stop looking at things the way they have been in a very selfish way, but help them to look beyond that and to see you. Uh, and help them to take what they've learned, just like Willie has shared with us, uh, the way that you can work in individuals, even within government, to help them to see that they need to do more. They need to listen to you more than listen to policy or listen to a piece of paper. And don't get me wrong, I know, God, that those things are there. You, you do work through our leaders. But uh, just help us as people to see things clearly. And as we can, and when we do that, we can make wiser and, and better decisions. So be with us as a church family. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for this fellowship uh, that allows me and all of us to get to know each other, the real, the tough, the hard, but the exciting stuff of seeing you at work in our lives. Uh, just to continue to be with us and use us. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.